All right, for the month of January, we're going to take a little detour out of the book of Isaiah. And today, we're, our passage comes from um, 2 Timothy, Paul's letter to Timothy, his child, his disciple in the faith. And Timothy is leading a church in Ephesus, a church that is under attack from, from false teachers. And Paul himself is in Rome. Uh, he's writing to, to Timothy while he is in prison and he's facing a death sentence. And surprisingly, he is writing to Timothy to encourage him and to comfort him. And so he reminds Timothy in our passage of just how important and necessary is the Word of God. And so Paul will help us answer some important questions this morning. What really is Scripture? Does it hold any power? Slight mess there. Uh, and is it worthy of our meditation, our devotion? And is it possible that it can produce anything good inside of us? Our text is 2 Timothy 3, verses 14 through 17. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. This is the word of God, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. If we want to know God, if we want to know his will, if we want to know his way, then we must know his word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word to us. May it be um, a reminder, but also a great encouragement on the importance on feeding upon your very word, that it gives life to us. Help us to understand that better and the grace that comes through us as we, your people, um, feed on Holy Scripture, we pray. Amen. Do you all remember the 2004 documentary titled Supersize Me? Uh, the actor and director, Morgan Spurlock, um, the, his film follows him for 30 days as he eats every meal of every day from McDonald's restaurant. He dined there three times a day, eating from the entire menu. And if the McDonald employee asked him if he'd like to supersize it, he always had to say, yes, thank you. Each day he consumed on average around 5,000 calories, which is over nine Big Macs a day. 32-year-old Spurlock gained over 24 pounds. His cholesterol level hit 230. He experienced mood swings, sexual dysfunction, and fat accumulation on his liver. It took Spurlock 14 months to lose all the weight he had gained during his experiment. Now, the big idea of this sermon is not don't eat at McDonald's, right? Rather, I chose this reminder of that movie so and how important it shows how important the healthy intake of food is, so we can make an analogy to scripture. The point I'd like to make this morning is that Scripture is God's food for the soul. Scripture is full of references. I'll give a few. One of my favorites is Psalm 34, 8, where it says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. 
and from Psalm 119. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Oh, how much the world needs to feed on the word of God. As we look at the world around us, and certainly as we look at ourselves, we should be wise to recognize how spiritually famished and impoverished we are. It shows up in our anxieties, our lusts, our workaholism, our addictions, and bitterness, our jealousy, our impatience, our anger. And what do we turn to normally? We turn to the fast food of life, binging Netflix, social media, sleeping pills, drugs, one-night stands. My hope this morning is that we would be wise and recognize our condition. We are hungry for the Word of God. God made us physical and spiritual creations. We have bodies that need healthy food, and so too we have souls which need healthy food. God has given us his holy scriptures as a means of grace for us, that we may be nourished by none other than God himself. In our text, Paul tells Timothy and us that scripture is the living word of God, and therefore let us feed on it. We will look at that under three headings. First, scripture is alive, then scripture is life-giving, and then scripture is life-sustaining. First, scripture is alive. You know, some would say that the Bible contains words about God, or that the Bible is inspired kind of along the ways in which Shakespeare is inspired. But Paul would not agree with these statements. He says here that scripture is alive. Now, how do we know that Paul says this? Well, in verse 16, he says, all scripture is breathed out by God. But how does that lead us to the conclusion that scripture is alive? Well, if you travel back to the beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, we read, then the Lord God formed man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. When God breathes into something, it comes alive. I don't know about you, but my breath isn't very life-giving. That kind of turns people away. But the breath of the living God gives life. Now, dead things cannot give life. If your car battery is dead, it will only come alive as it comes into contact with your jumper cable wires. The Bible is alive because God has given life to it. And when we take it in, it's kind of like having the jumper cables of God plugging into our souls. And perhaps some of you are thinking now, when, when it says that God has breathed out his word, is, it, is he just like breathe out black ink on white paper? That's not how it happens. Well, then what is the process by which scripture came into form? Well, there's two competing views on this. One is called mechanical inspiration. The other is organic inspiration. With mechanical inspiration, the idea is that basically God took over the biblical authors so that it really wasn't the author doing the work, kind of like a human author sitting at a typewriter and typing things out, that God was using these people like a typewriter. 
Now, it's certainly possible that that's the way God did this. God's capable of all kinds of things. But there's a couple of problems with that approach. One, when you read Scripture and you become familiar with it, you realize that there's such a great diversity um, with Scripture. And so if God really was dictating every um, person like a typewriter, there wouldn't be much difference in, in style or vocabulary or tone. But the Bible has a great diversity in all these areas. And the second reason we're going to see in just a moment is that Scripture itself attests to a different way. We call it organic inspiration. Organic inspiration believes that our biblical authors were not passive instruments like a typewriter, but real authors. And therefore, they wrote with their vocabulary and their style and their emotions. And so the, the same spirit that breathed life into Adam came upon the biblical authors to work in them and through them to bring about the words of the living God to bring them to life. The Apostle Peter helps us to see this more clear in 2 Peter chapter 1, where we read, Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit carried along the prophets and the apostles, and God spoke through them to us. And just as, as God's breath produced lasting life in Adam, Scripture is alive to this very day. Paul's word to us this morning is that God has spoken, and he's still speaking. Scripture is alive. That's our first point. The next point is Scripture gives life. Some might say, well, I'm already alive. Well, it's a different kind of life. What kind of life is, does Scripture give? It's, it's eternal life. That's what Paul's referred to in verse 15. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Scripture points to Christ. All of Scripture points to Christ, Old Testament and New and so what we need to understand is that the goal of Scripture isn't just to make us more knowledgeable. The goal of Scripture isn't just to lead us into deep truths that we can talk about. No, the goal of Scripture is to lead us to a person, Christ Jesus. And in a real sense, Jesus is the Word. Remember how John opens up his Gospel? He writes of Jesus being the word of God from heaven who came in the flesh. Verse 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And skipping to verse 10, he was in the world, and the world was made through him, and yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. 
Jesus, the living word of God, came into the world in which he created, and he was even rejected by the world he came to save. You know, if you know scripture, you know that there was a time when all these people who were following Jesus, most of them left. The crowds vanished. Why? Well, they had been coming to get food, like literal food. Jesus fed them regularly. Or they came to see miracles. They wanted to be entertained. Or they came looking for signs that this was the Messiah who was going to overthrow these Romans who were occupying the land. But when Jesus began to tell them more richly what his goal, his plans were, and how what this kingdom that he was ushering in was different from any earthly kingdom, and that he must die and rise again on the third day, and that if you follow him into his kingdom, you have to carry your own cross, die to yourself daily, that you may find life in him. And just as quickly as the masses formed, they disappeared. The Apostle John records these words that Jesus, of Jesus asking the twelve, well, what are you going to do? Here's what we read. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. The natural reaction of this world is to, is to like Jesus until we recognize that he calls us sinners and he calls us to trust in him alone so that he can save us. People walk away saying, that's preposterous. I'm not a sinner. I don't need salvation. But we are wise when we say with Peter, Lord, to whom shall we go? And so my question for you is, are you wise unto salvation? Have you been led by Scripture to the Son of God, who is the embodiment of the living Word of God? Okay, so we've seen that Scripture is alive, but more than that, Scripture gives us life. It points us to salvation in Jesus Christ. But even more than that, Scripture is life-sustaining. That's Paul's final point here. Scripture is life-sustaining, and therefore it is to be our daily bread. You know, wouldn't it be great if, like, the day you were born, you could just, like, eat one meal for the rest of your life? Actually, no, I like to eat. You know, just as you cannot eat one meal for all of your life, so too we must feed upon Scripture daily. It's our spiritual food for life so that we may be sustained. That is what Paul's getting across when he says all Scripture is profitable for teaching. All Scripture is breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Paul gives us four things here that are profitable for us. First, Scripture is profitable for teaching. If you remember the background for why Paul wrote this letter and what the main thrust of the letter is, is, is that this church in Ephesus was being infiltrated by false teachers. They were, they were promoting all kinds of false doctrine, including like irreverent and silly myths that must be believed in. Those are Paul's words. False teachers taught that in order to have this abundant life, you need to abstain from certain foods, 
um, McDonald's. <laughs> uh, you need to have your life directed by genealogies. You need to believe in certain silly myths. The point is that there are many competing worldviews, just as there are today. Paul's word to us is that of all the competing worldviews, all these different approaches to life, in the end, will leave you dead to God. But God-breathed scripture is profitable for teaching us what is to be accepted and what isn't. And so how are we to apply this to our lives today? Well, we must be more than just merely readers of God's word. The reason why this spiritual discipline of daily reading of scripture is called scripture intake is that we need to bring God's word into our very lives. We must feed upon it and it must teach us. And one way we're taught by scripture is that we come to understand biblical doctrine. Some people like to kick back at that word. They don't like the word dogma or doctrine. You'll hear plenty of people say, I, I don't believe in any dogma or doctrine. They're ignorant of the truth. Everyone has a doctrine that they hold on to. I remember a number of years ago, I was talking to this new age spiritualist woman and and she held, she shared with me her belief that, that every star in the sky was, a, was the soul of a loved one. That doctrine is false. Some say there is no God. This too is doctrine. Doctrine is either true or false. And listen, God cares that we have true doctrine. This is a gracious thing for us. And so, by the faithful and determined study of his living word, we're able to grasp truth for daily living. This year, we're going through a Bible together. We have a wonderful reading plan back there for you. I feel like it's going to be a reading plan that you don't tire of. It'll be a reading plan where you're going to learn new truths, dogma, and you will rejoice. This reading plan, I went ahead and I tried the first Two readings. The first one um, out of the book of Romans took six minutes. The second one um, was from Genesis. It took six and a half minutes. And so what we see here is if you devote 10 to 15 minutes a morning per day or evening, you're going to feed upon the whole Bible in one year. The whole Bible in one year. Just try to imagine what the Bible will teach you in one year. Think of all the growth. Delight in how God will transform you in his grace. Allow the word of God to teach you this coming year. So scripture is profitable for teaching. Next, it's profitable for reproof. What is that? Well, reproof is when you're convicted of some false doctrine. That's not true. Timothy was surrounded by people who were espousing false doctrine. Paul wants Timothy to have confidence that the scripture is powerful enough to convict these people of their false understanding. One of the false doctrines I believed in before coming to faith in Christ was that the, that the God of the Old Testament was this bitter, angry, mean God but the God of the New Testament, well, he was kind and gentle and soft and cuddly. Maybe not cuddly, but you get the point. 
But as I studied scripture, I, I came to see how wrong I was. It's the same God. It's the same steadfast love. It's the same willingness to forgive because that's his character. It's the same God who passionately pursues people on earth that they may experience his grace. It's the same God. Perhaps you have beliefs about Jesus or God or, or humanity that aren't biblical. How would you know? Well, I encourage you to, to dig deep into the living word this year. Allow it to reprove you, and it will. Next, Paul shifts from Scripture changing what one thinks to changing how one lives. So Paul writes that all Scripture is profitable for correction. I encourage each of you to own one of those ESB study Bibles. On the back, there's a bunch of articles. One of them was written by my former um, professor in seminary, Dan Doriani. It's an article titled, Interpreting the Bible, and he has this short quote in it. Here's what he says. As people read scripture, scripture reads them, questions them, reveals their thoughts. True, right? Now, for scripture to do this, we need to approach it with an attitude like King David in Psalm 139, where he says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. What a prayer. We are to come to Scripture and meditate upon it, all the while asking God, is there some offensive way in me that this passage is trying to correct? My friends, meditate upon this reality. Sometimes when we study the Word of God, we meditate upon it, it convicts us of sin. Let me ask you, are you okay with that? Truth be told, there's not a single one of us here who does not need the correction of God's Word on a daily basis. And also, sometimes we need Scripture to correct us because we're sad, or we're anxious, or we're depressed, or we're lonely, or we're bitter. We need the, the Word of God to correct us, to shake us, to show us God's mercy and grace. You know, there's times when we wonder, God, are you there? We wonder, why, why, why am I lacking so much joy in this day? And then we turn to like a favorite psalm or passage in the Bible, and it gives us joy in the moment. Have you experienced that? I'm sure most of you have. That's the word of God correcting us in a good way. Lastly, Scripture is profitable for training in righteousness. Please understand this, especially if you're a young person here today. Righteousness is a good thing. When people are kind to you, when someone is generous towards you, when people treat you fairly, that is righteousness being lived out. And so what this world desperately needs, what you desperately need, is righteousness. We also call it godliness or Christ-likeness. See, we were made to live in righteousness. And the more righteous you are, the more alive you are. 
As we intake scripture daily, our spiritual bodies are nourished and strengthened to live how God designed us to live in righteousness. As the Bible states, God's word is a lamp unto our feet. It shows us how to live. So therefore, let us be trained more and more in God's righteousness. And, and in, let's not point towards others and, and wait for them to grow in righteousness before we need, see our own need for it. Let us be committed to being trained in righteousness in the year ahead. May 2024 be a year in which God grows you in righteousness. It'll be a good thing. So this morning we studied that scripture is the living word of God. We are to feed on it daily. You know, I don't remember being in my mother's womb, you know. It's probably a good thing, you know. But I, I have this sense that, you know, I, I think I really enjoyed it, you know. Warm, comfortable, never a cry for food. I mean, it just came to me. Like, in every moment of every day through her placenta, I was getting fed. <clears throat> Life out of the womb is different. It requires a, a daily feeding. So too, our spiritual lives. If you have faith in Christ, you have experienced a new spiritual birth. We are out of the womb, so to speak. Our lives are dependent upon God's spiritual food to nourish us. Now, I could end the sermon here and say that our motto for the new year is more in 24. And we'd be all riled up and yes, I'm going to start this year. The whole year, I'm going to be faithful. I'm never going to miss a day. I'm going to do this. Finally, every year before, I failed by February, but 2024, more than 24. My fear is if we just end there, as we pursue this goal, we'd experience guilt, right? Some of you know what I'm talking about. But we're unable to live up to our own good expectations and intentions. So I want to read a bit of an article from By Faith Magazine. We have them out in the lobby there. It's written by my former seminary professor and uh, a president, rather, and my homiletics professor, Brian Chapel. Homiletics is just a fancy way to say preaching. Here's what he said. It's kind of long, but bear with me. Let's see if you see yourself in this. As New Year begins, many Christians will launch into resolutions that include attempts to improve their walk with God, daily scripture reading, more disciplined prayer life, more regular church attendance. One barrier to the resolutions becoming routine is the burden of guilt we needlessly attach to these Christian disciplines. We assume that God will love us more or rate us more deserving of his grace based upon our performance. So when our enthusiasm for these disciplines wanes or life becomes more complicated than our rosy resolutions, our lapses send us into recriminations for our failure. We feel disappointed with ourselves but are more concerned that God is disapproving of us. We failed again to be the saints of our dreams or the person Jesus desires. 
So rather than putting ourselves through regular frustration with ourselves or facing the frown of God, we choose to abandon our routines thinking, maybe we'll do better next year. And so is there a better way to grow close to God without being motivated by the pressure of our guilt or God's disapproval? One approach that can help is thinking of these Bible disciplines as bread rather than a bribe. Too many Christians pray, read their Bibles, and attend church activities with the intention of making sure God will be nice to them. They put themselves through the routines and rituals of the Christian life with the motivation of gaining God's love or staying on his good side. These believers have been told that good Christians pray frequently, read their Bibles daily, and go to church regularly. So they they do what they think is needed to get the points with God that will earn his love or convince him to grant the good stuff that they love. In essence, they are trying to bribe God by going through the misery of church attendance, the penance of prayer, and the burden of Bible reading. The longer and more difficult, the better. More points that way. But what if we could understand that reading the scriptures like prayer and worship is bread for our souls, not barter for God's blessing. Throughout his word, God is showing us how relentless is his love for sinful people, how resolute is his care for those who have failed him, and how great is his grace towards those who do not deserve it. If we would read God's word to see his grace rather than to earn it, then we would read the word to feed our souls with his love rather than to drop our coins of burdens into the vending machine in the sky to spit out nice things. We would feast on God's grace rather than try to leverage him for his blessings. His word would be the source of our assurance, peace, and strength rather than a burden or a bribe. We would not flee his frown, but we would run to his smile. If we could see daily Bible reading as the opportunity regularly to feast on the goodness of God's word, then it would become bread for our soul. As much as we hunger for breakfast after a night without food, unless you're intermittent fasting, we would long to come to the Lord's word for the spiritual nutrition that we are privileged to receive, to fuel the joy that is our strength for all the days of our lives. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful that your word to us truly is not meant to burden us. It is meant to bring us closer to you. It is meant to correct our false thoughts concerning you. It is meant to be a means by which your grace and mercy flows into our lives. We would not miss a meal in the day. How then can we miss feeding on your word. Help us to see how important it is and bless us in this coming year as we study and meditate upon your word and pray. Amen.